Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 195 called Lauren. Hello, everybody. This is Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally, and we are here to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we can support you on your infertility journey. So we wanted to let you know that Fertility Rally is the membership group that we created. It's the place we wish we had when we were in the thick of it. We offer support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have tons of events, lots of videos, blog posts, so much content. We're starting to do IRL events as well. And we want to be there for you no matter where you are on your journey. Yeah, our favorite part, we had no idea where this would go when we started it. And our favorite part about it is watching all of our members, which is like 300 plus at this point, connect and create true lifelong friendships. We have members that are meeting up in real life. We have members that are supporting each other on Instagram. We have members that call each other best friends now. And honestly, like that is the most rewarding thing to see. We had no idea it would go here. And so we're just, we're inviting you to join the rally fam. Yeah, it's such a great space. It's a safe space. We also have fun when we can. So we would love for you to be a part of it. Check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at fertilityrally. Hope to see you guys soon. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part? If you use code Allie15, you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code Allie15, A-L-I-1-5 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. Oh my gosh, you guys, I could have talked to Lauren all day. This woman who you are about to hear my conversation with is so incredible. She's just an amazing dynamic person and so fun to talk to, even when we're talking about hard shit. She and her sister host a podcast called Cozy Conversations. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. I was recently on their show and it was one of my most fun podcast interviews I've ever had done. So thank you to them for that. But this conversation is all about Lauren and she's going to tell us all about her fertility journey, going through IVF and all that stuff. So in addition to going through IVF, she's going to talk about what she calls her horrible endometriosis and how growing up she just had these crazy painful periods. We are going to talk about the sex education that we both got or the lack thereof and how it kind of landed us in this no man's land of, you know, not, not knowing what was going on with our fertility later in life. She's going to talk about going through IVF and it's just, she's so real and funny and I just love this conversation. So thanks to Lauren and thank you guys for listening. Without further ado, this is Lauren's infertility story. Lauren, it's so good to talk to you. Um, I'm so excited. We this is our second conversation in a couple of days. I was on your podcast that you host with your sister called Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project last week. That was so fun. You guys are awesome to talk to. So everybody, check <laughs> out their podcast too. 
it's kind of like, just like life experiences, lessons learned, pop culture, right? Like what, how would you describe your show? I would describe it as a kind of almost like a talk radio show. I mean, in our, in our industry, it would probably be identified as a conversational podcast. Uh, And yes, it's Michelle and I, and we, for lack of better words, we like shoot the shits like, like sisters do. And we talk about all the things you covered. And then we share a lot of our personal lives as well. Yes. And heavy on infertility, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But that was a long, (laughs) that was a long part of my journey for a while. So that is definitely part of our conversations in past episodes. Yes. Well, that's what I was talking about too. But then we took a turn and we were talking about Playboy where I used to work. We were doing like fuck, marry and kill. Like it was like all <laughs> over the place. Like I hung up and I was like, that was so fun. <laughs> the, you know, the idea is like, you're kind of like hanging out with a friend of yours yeah. and, or you wander into a fun conversation. Like, you know, we, I was at a party last week at a, at a really lovely, like little dinner party. And I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I knew the hostess and maybe one other woman there. And it just, I think doing our podcast has helped me feel a little bit more conver- confident in my conversations mm-hmm. because it gives me the ability to kind of, like you said, just kind of talk about anything. Totally. And we have to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Hillary, who introduced us. Hi, Hill. Thank you, Hillary. We are all Chicagoans and I love her very much. So um, thank you for hooking us all up. So, all right, let's get into it. Let's talk about your vagina. Let's talk Um, about it. Tell me about family building. Did you always want to be a mom? No, I didn't actually. I went for a long time. My husband and I got married in 2019. And even prior to that, I'm sorry, 2013. I don't know where my head was at when I said 2019. We got married. What year is it even? Exactly. Being a new mom now, I don't even know what day it is. Seriously. The other day um, I said it was 2002. I mean, honestly, I would believe you if you told me that because that's where I'd be again. it's (laughs) (laughs) It's really true. It's 2002. Anthony and I got married in 2013 and we had no, no really want for children. There were no, our wants at the moment, at that moment, we're traveling. That was our baby. We traveled the world and we traveled a lot of places in lieu of building a family. Um, It was a, a decision that we were very comfortable with and we had so much fun and it was probably around... So I should give a little backstory. My mom was diagnosed with dementia in 2015. Mm, so sorry. So thank you. And she, and it, it, it happened fast. She was mm-hmm. acting. If anyone is familiar with this disease or Alzheimer's, you know that there's a lot of behavioral and a lot of behavioral things, not only in the home, but also in, in socially, these individuals start acting different, if you will, mm-hmm. very questionable. And so from the time I got married from 2013, that behavior from my mom was starting to make itself more prevalent and more out there. So once 2015 rolled around, she she got diagnosed with a form of dementia called FTD. And it is where basically it's your decision-making. It's, it, it's part of the brain that houses all of your decision-making and your behavior. And that kind of went all out the window. So from the time I got married, didn't want kids to 2015. And then until she passed away in 2019, I had my hands full with an individual. And I don't mean to say that in a bad way. I was very, you know, Hey, we were really hands-on with June, our mom. So, and in a way, Allie, honestly, they resort back to babyhood. It's literally Mm -hmm. like a 60 something year old person regressing. So So I, as the, as the child, right. You have to like switch roles. It's so tough, but 
the reason why I'm sharing this is because she taught me so much. She taught me how to have that kind of more nurturing side of me that I didn't even know existed. I had like a passport side to me. I had like a traveler side, you know what right. I mean? I didn't, I didn't know I had that compassionate, empathetic, more motherly side, because that's essentially what you have to do with individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia. So when caring for her, I found that, wow, I can actually do this. I'm mm-hmm. okay with changing diapers and speaking with an individual. <clears throat> and of course it's my mother. I would do anything for her, but who has no ability to help herself anymore. Right. So there was slowly this, like this maternal side of me began to kind of unravel, um, show itself. If you like will. reveal and, itself. Yeah. Yes. Reveal itself. And around 2000, 16, 17, Anthony and I just started to be less careful. We were just like, okay, pull in, pr- not, but before we were pulling in, praying to not get pregnant. And then we were <laughs> right not, not doing that. And we, I've never used contraception. It was one of those things where we just kind of threw all caution to the wind and we're like, okay, let's, let's start seeing if I can get pregnant. And that's right. where my journey of infertility began. <laughs> right. You're like, if it happens, it happens. And <laughs> you have, you know, the same kind of sex education that I did where it was just like, it's super easy to get pregnant. Yes, you know, if you course. don't protect. Okay. Yeah. So oh, that's such a was, common theme in all of these stories. Uh, right. Because it's like, how am I a 30 something year old woman and not realizing that there's a lot more that goes into it we talked about this in our podcast, you and I and Michelle, yeah. that there's a such thing called like a specific time that you can get pregnant. And really totally. it's like the only time. So we were just having sex all the time. I mean, right. we were just like, oh, and maybe I'll get pregnant. Of course that didn't happen the way that we thought it would. So, mm-hmm. you know, you go to a doctor. I thought what I was supposed to do is go to my doctor and announce to them, I want to start having a baby. And they were going to give me some sort of like magic toolkit and be like, okay, this is how it's going to get done. And my doctor at the time was like, okay, go, cool. Go home and have some right. sex, wait a year and see what happens. Have like, some oh, wine and yeah, yes, exactly. literally. Yeah. Loosen up a little bit. I'm like, well, I don't need any encouragement. <laughs> just, right. Like, is there something special? And it's interesting because this doctor at the time that I told one of my primary care um, providers that Anthony and I were trying for a baby I also was having the same conversation I had had with my doctors for years and years and years about my painful periods. Mm. And so again, at this time, I, you know, cause you get asked, it's how is your, is your period regular? Yeah, it's regular, but it's so yeah. heavy and I'm in excruciating pain. And then I heard it like, so I can't even count how many times I heard it again. I heard in the same conversation, trying to have a baby. Oh, no worries. You probably have endometriosis. You know, there's okay. really not much we can do about it. Had you ever, you'd never been like officially diagnosed and not before that. No. But are you saying you always had really painful periods? Like from like the job since the minute I got my period, I was in so much pain, but I thought it was the normal. I thought it was. Yeah. So many people do. And just like, oh, I guess you just get cramps or this is just how it is for me. And yeah, oftentimes it is some endo or something like that. And it doesn't go diagnosed because unfortunately one of the only ways to find endo is by doing surgery. I mean, there's, there's tests now too, which is great because ultimately years later, I will have had the surgery that would give you the diagnosis. But for the moment, for my whole life, I had these painful periods. I mean, Allie, I'm talking like, was like, I remember I have a most vivid memory of being on the floor in our old house growing up as a child, I was probably like 15 years old because the cold tile 
was some sort of soothing mechanism. It, right. it took some sort of the pain away. And so I would go from the tile to the bathtub because the bathtub, the warmth of the bathtub would help. And from the bathtub, I'd go to the toilet because with my endometriosis in, in conjunction with my terrible cramps was also um, yes. GI issues. So like yes. I would sit on the toilet for hours. Yeah. And again, I thought this was normal. It's huge because growing up, I would say to my doctors, I would tell all my gynecologists, I went to one gentleman for a long time and it was the same thing. You probably have endometriosis, go home, take some leave. We could put you on the pill. I chose not to do that. So I get to this point where I'm talking to my provider. And at this point, still in my thirties, I'm telling her, I want to have a baby and I have painful cramps. She never once mentioned that endometriosis could be a problem for conceiving and for fertility. And that's so interesting. It makes me so mad. I don't know why. I don't know why. No one ever told me that. No one ever told me in my womanhood of having my period that your issue might be endo, but just think about it. When you get older, if you choose to have a family, it could be problematic ever until I got to a fertility clinic. That is when I started to like hear, oh, if you have endo, this could be a problem. I'm like, oh, wait, what? Yes. (laughs) So after years of trying with just, you know, kind of natural ways of trying, you know, regular intercourse, it never happened. And so I, I made that, that decision. I'm like, well, I guess I have to, I, it's so weird. I don't even really remember like when I decided to have, like, it's time to go see a fertility specialist. I was 30, I was 36. I had my baby at 39. I was probably 36. Actually. I do remember now I went to um, Northwestern's the endocrinologists okay, um, yeah. and reproductive center there. And I remember getting my, my stuff tested and I was just kind of told it was the first, it was like a preliminary visit. And I was told that, you know, you're getting older, your egg quality is decent. If you want to have multiples, now's the time to start, start IVF and start, and start saving some eggs for when you get older. Okay. Um, so had you, you hadn't gotten pregnant, you didn't have any losses. It just like wasn't happening. I have never been pregnant. I've never had a scare, mm-hmm. nothing. I was actually thought I just got lucky from not getting pregnant for so long when I didn't want children. And then once I started trying, I'm like, this is kind of odd. Like mm-hmm. I've never even nothing. So no, thankful I've never had any losses. I just was impossible to get <laughs> knocked mm-hmm. up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I didn't take this doctor's advice. And this is my, my bad. I would say I, when I was 36, I, I probably should have listened to her and froze some eggs and taken the step to get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. But instead I was like, you know what? I just kind of feel like she's pushing me. I'm going to just wait. We'll keep trying. Nothing ever came from it until really the pandemic hit. And then, you know, everyone's trying to like build businesses, bake all the banana bread they've got. And (laughs) I'm like, you know what, let's make a baby now. So that is really, that was your, that was your pandemic project. It was our pandemic macrame and you're like, let's bone and bring home the baby. And we did our whole infertility journey was through the whole pandemic. Now, prior to the world shutting down on that mid, that mid March day, Anthony and I were, we were starting to have our appointments at the doctor and whatnot. And that's when we started with like, you know, your basics like Clomid Mm -hmm. and timed intercourse. And I was always really open and I am very open about what we were going through. And it's a, there was a plus and a negative. There was a pro and a con to that. I felt like being open, you got so much support from people, but you also unfortunately get a bit of false hope. 
Mm. When I was sharing with people that I was starting Clomid, I would, friends would be like, oh, perfect. That's all you need. It's going to happen just like that. So that started my journey of, great, this is actually going to be easier said than done. Or this is going to be easier than I'm thinking. Yeah. So these are friends that had gone through it and had done, had done yeah. that. Right. Yes. Okay. And they were being super supportive and optimistic, right. but it also seeped into my energy. And I would, so what would happen is I would get really optimistic and then get really disappointed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that frustration kind, kind of starts to settle, settle totally. in. I mean, I get where they're coming from, of course. So you, do know, I. you don't want to be like, oh my God, Lauren, this could take years. It's going to be fucking terrible. <laughs> like, you know, you know there, there were some friends and I've mentioned Kasha. Kasha is a very um, prominent person in my fertility journey because she really helped me so much along the way. And she'll come into a she, her role becomes bigger as we get towards my surgery for endo and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciated people's support like that. But then there were those individuals who were like, this can take, once I got to IVF alley is when people really started to come out of the woodwork and were like, this can take a while. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, thank you. I, I'm happy. At least someone's telling me that to prepare me because up until that point, there was so much disappointment. Right. So once, you know, during the pandemic. And I know you've talked to probably so many women who went through and individuals who went through trying to build a family during this time, everything gets all fucked up, like wearing yeah. masks, you're doing tele- telemed, your right. partner can't come in. So it's all having sex mess. with a mask on is so, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so Thank hot. God we didn't have to do that, but there were so many times that like during one of our IVF moments where Anthony got, got COVID in the middle of my IVF cycle. And it right. was a very big problem because he couldn't come in to give his specimen right because he had COVID. Right. And I could have been that creep that didn't say anything and say like, don't tell them you have COVID, but bring your COVID self into this establishment. Oh, yeah. But I couldn't do that. So I had to tell them. Yeah. You happened. can't be a dick like that. No, you <laughs> but can't. I know. Yeah. Right. It just so, derails everything though. I know it's it so frustrating. Everything. Yeah. So once this whole COVID and timed intercourse didn't work out and the IUIs weren't working. We how long finally, did you do that? And how many IUIs did you do? Do you remember? Yeah, we did about three or four IUIs. You know, with our insurance plan, of course, there's always a set amount of IUIs, not always, but for ours, you have to do three to four to get like that, you know, that grant, that wished grant that you can go up to the IVF mm-hmm. um, portion of your insurance. Mm-hmm. So we did Clomid, like two or three rounds of Clomid, tons of time, tons and tons of time to intercourse. Yeah, that's hard. And then it's so hard. You know, you try so hard to make it sexy and keep it, you know, kind of fiery. And then it really does get kind of difficult. You're like, Oh my God. Cause you're exhausted. Yeah. Well, it becomes like a job and there's nothing sexy about it. And yeah. Oh, there's a lot. So once we did all that, then after the IUI, and this is kind of the watershed like moment of our journey was when our doctor, Dr. Christina Boots is who I was with the entire time for my journey. And she's amazing. She's out of Northwestern. Okay. Once the IUIs didn't take, she said, it's time to move forward to IVF. Like, this is it. We're going to do it. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And then I, we started talking about endo again. And I'm like, but here's the deal. How is endometriosis? If I do have it, which again, we're not diagnosed. I'm not diagnosed yet. How does this play a role with IVF? Mm -hmm. Was it explained to you in a way that you could understand at that point? Not really. Honestly, Mm -hmm. just basically that it, it could or couldn't work. Like IVF, it basically what she told me was 
in the event you do have endometriosis, which I, I think you do, IVF is going to be the only way to get you pregnant Mm -hmm. at this moment in time. Right. And so my thought was, well, why am I going to go through IVF if I don't even know if I've got endometriosis or not? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't willing to risk that. I wasn't willing to continue this journey of infertility via medical intervention without having an answer to a illness that I've been told I've had for like 20 years. Smart. Yes. So, and that was my, and that's where Kasha, um, my little like (laughs) IVF infertility guardian angel fairy godmother comes in because she taught me how to advocate for myself. And I was at a point where I didn't realize I had to, until I realized it's either I speak up and start making changes now, or I just keep going along with the, with the, with the plan and Mm -hmm. just keep doing what I'm told to do. So, right. I think it's so important to have somebody like that in your life that can point you in that direction. Cause it's not only that sometimes you have to advocate for yourself, which is important, but it's sometimes you don't even realize that you can, you know, like personally, it was like, Oh, the doctor tells you what to do. They're the expert patient. I don't know. I, I will do X, Y, and Z. And I didn't realize that. Oh my God, arm yourself with questions, go in there. Like, not like guns a blazing, like you want to be their teammate, but like knowledge is power and all that stuff. And just the more, you know, and the more you ask about the better informed you are. And I had no idea, you okay, know, it's, and that, why don't we know that though? That's, I think it's I, just because, I mean, like I said, I think for me, it was just like the doctor knows best. They're the expert. You're, you don't know, and you don't have a medical degree. Why would, you know, don't question them. But I think that, especially with a field like, fertility, which is still a fairly new field, you know, IVF is only 40 something years old. Right. Um, I think is that the math? (laughs) I have no idea. I'm just glad that uh, it works for me. Yeah. And (laughs) you know, I think that the doctors do know a lot obviously, but they don't know everything. And there's still things that are being turned over and things Mm -hmm. that are being discovered and things that are different from even 10 years ago now today. So I think that it's a constantly evolving field. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it is important to, to ask questions and advocate. And I'm with you. I'm right there with you. I didn't realize how much you can and should speak up and ask all the questions and get second opinions and not settle so easily, which I am, I'm kind of an easygoing person where if someone keep, I, I just follow the, follow the directions, but this was such a different kind of experience for me. And I was so tired of these painful periods. And I'm like, if this is going to be what doesn't get me pregnant, I'm going to figure out how I can nip that in the bud. Mm -hmm. So again, with the help of Kasha, I went, I basically went to all of Kasha's doctors. (laughs) And because she was going through the same thing, her fertility journey was longer than mine, but she was going through the same thing. And she ultimately got pregnant. So I was like, I'm going to just kind of go with your, your, what you did, I'm going to do because, (laughs) you know, so I went to her doctor, which is now my doctor, Dr. Abraham Shawshua. He's in here in Chicago. He specializes in endometriosis. And I can't stress how important it is to see someone who specializes in it because there are going to be the ones that listen to you a little bit more. Yep. And they're also going to be the individuals and doctors who are a little bit more keen on, I hate to say it like that, but giving you the surgery to find out if you have it or not. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many doctors were like, uh, we're not going to cut you open to find out if you have it. Just, you'll be fine. You know? So this doctor, I told him what was going on and he, it was the first time in, 
I think my life that a, a provider actually listened to my story about my periods and like, didn't just say you probably have, well, he actually did say you probably have endometriosis. He's certain of it, but he wanted to actually go in and look around. Mm -hmm. And so we did it. We did it. And I'm, I am so grateful for that operation because we went in for our laparoscopic surgery and we did find it. We, I had three fibroids that he took out as Mm -hmm. well as a ton of endometriosis. Mm -hmm. I was they, he diagnosed me as stage two, but moderate. And a lot of what he found explained and gave me, you know, answers to the pain and the GI issues that I had. Most of my endo was found outside of my uterus and near my rectum, which is where that GI sitting on the toilet for a full day of my period. That, wow. And I know how gross that is, but no, it's literally... That's... If it's, if you've gone through it, I'm sure there's people listening that have that too. It's not gross. You know, there's nothing gross on here. You you just sit there for the whole day and, and it's either you're making a BM or you're not, but you feel like you have to, it's the strangest sensation because you don't, you're like, is this part of the period or uncomfortable? It's painful to uncomfortable. So he, he, you know, we go through the whole process and as scary as that surgery is, it's so exciting because you're going to get an answer. And, and once you do, you kind of move along from there and figure out your next plan. But after I was in my recovery, he came out, he showed me some photos. He explained to me and he's like, your uterus is as good as new. And he said, I gave you a uterine facelift. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> I love that. I know. And I was, he's like, you are good. Now you go and you start your process of IVF. This okay. Is, and I'm like, oh my God, this is, it was like, a, it was such a miracle. But the thing is, nobody told me about the recovery from laparoscopic surgery. Okay. So I know it's different for everybody. What was it like for you? Horrendous. It was, I actually was in so much pain. I thought like something had gone wrong. I was like, did he leave a utensil in me? Oh my Um, God. It was on, it was unbearable. I mean, I was, the pain that I was in was, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, it was so worth it. But at the same time, I'm like, it was fucked up how painful it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember like waking up. It makes me sad because I oh, you're getting like emotional about it. Yeah, because it's hard. It's and it's trauma too. It is. It's for sure trauma. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, saying to my husband, "I was like, Anthony, I think we need to go to the hospital. Like, I'm, am I gonna? I feel like I might die from this pain. It was so bad. Oh God, yes. And um, I'm sorry to get emotional. It's just no, when don't you remember apologize. these things. I'm sure you've. Oh, you're used to crying on your. <laughs> Oh, I cry like every, <laughs> I cry every day for some reason. And especially on these podcasts, I'm, I'm always sure. like, you should see me in the support groups, the fertility rally groups. I'm always like, <laughs> like waterworks. Yeah. Well, I think it gets emotional because this is a, it's a, it was an elective surgery. I chose to have the surgery. And then I'm like, I can't believe how much pain I'm in. This is, mm-hmm. and going to the, what they tell you too. So we had to call the doctor, like emergency phone calls. Like, is this it? Do we take me to the emergency room? And what we found was there, when you're making, when you have the surgery and then you have to, whether there's gas that has to be passed or a BM, it's like a serpent. I, the only way I can describe it was like a serpent with like razor blades sticking out, moving oh through your God. stomach at this really slow oh. pace. And yes. I would be like white knuckling anything I can hold on to in the bathroom to just get this pain moving through me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to share something and yes, side note, please. you can say, I don't know. I'm sure you could, you, it's about cannabis. Is that okay to talk about? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to share that what, what helped me a lot with my pain was a lot of heating pads, but I chose to not take any pharmaceuticals because it was just a person for no other reason, except for, I just chose not to, uh-huh. but then I chose to try cannabis. I I used to work at a dispensary and at a medical dispensary. And I had individuals of all walks of illnesses in life coming in to treat their pain and whatnot. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use this fucked up opportunity to see how good is cannabis as a pain relief. Okay. And the, I was taking 10 milligrams, which is a heavy dose for me as like, I wouldn't do that as a recreational for me because that's a lot. What's the form was, you took it in? Like a gummy or like a, a chocolate or like in okay. a gummy? And it was a Wana. It's a, the brand is called Wana W A N A. And okay. I was taking the mango. They're, they're mango sativa ones, so they're a little bit like more euphoric. They're not so much body buzz. Okay, I can't tell you how much that gave me a sense of relief. Oh, good. And, okay, good to know. To, yeah, and to this day, I don't know if it was a because you get like, you get kind of like a little like higher stone, the cannabinoids find their way into your system, but, or if it really did kind of find the pain and trigger uh-huh. relief there. But I would just, if you're not going to take pharmaceuticals, I would recommend going to a medical cannabis dispensary. And if uh-huh. you're open to that, yeah. it does help with pain relief. So Do you need to have like a doctor's like note to get this stuff or like, can you just in go into like Illinois? A dis- no, in the state of Illinois, yeah. it's now it is recreational, right? Um, of course, but you know, you you can get a doctor's note. Well, this is actually a really good question, Allie. There are in the state of Illinois about forty something qualifying illnesses that you, if you have, you can get your medical marijuana card. Okay, and that is what that does. It gives you a tax break, and you do have a couple other options for medicinal cannabis at Mm -hmm. your disposal. So yes, to answer your question, you do need a doctor's note for something like that. But if you're going in and you're not looking for your medical marijuana ID, you can just go in and get most anything, although it will be more expensive. But if you have a chronic illness, say like endometriosis, um, or, or it's some, you know, it's arthritis, different, all sorts of different ones, but endo can fall underneath those qualified. Um, you can go in and if it's chronic, I would for sure get it from your doctor because that way you have that tax break because cannabis is freaking expensive in this state, especially right. if you're using it to treat. Um, I don't know what it's like in New York for you yeah. guys. I, I know I'm in Jersey now, so oh, you're in we Jersey. have it here it's too, different. but I've, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's but a now I'm intrigued. Field. I gotta look into it. Yeah, it's a fascinating field and I can't recommend it high enough. Whether you want to do cannabis with THC or even CBD, mm-hmm. they have those products. And I've seen individuals with so many different ailments come through and, and use it daily for pain management. Gotcha. Okay. So a little off topic, but it is. Helpful. No, it's, it's, it's no, I think somebody listening might really benefit from that actually, especially well, painful endo patients. You know, I was just going to say during my period, my cramps, honestly, cannabis was one of the things, and I was taking a leave like nobody's business. But at mm-hmm. a certain point, when I started learning about medicinal cannabis, I was using it as a form of medicine to help mm-hmm. pain relief as gotcha. well during my, my cramps and whatnot. Yeah. But so after, so coming back to present day, more or less. Yeah, so what happened that, after the surgery? Yeah. After the surgery, I was like guns a blazing. I was ready to go. I'm like, let's make it. Baby. Right. <laughs> but I had to wait about three 
rounds of my three cycles of my period to get things a little bit more acclimated with my system, get back to normal to heal because the inside of my uterus was not prepared to carry a baby. Gotcha. And once we got to June of 2021, my surgery, my laparoscopic surgery was in March of 2021. In June, we started IVF. Mm -hmm. And it was the scariest and most exciting time of my life because I was ready. I thought that it would make a baby instantly and Mm -hmm. had no idea what I was doing. The shots are so intimidating. Mm -hmm. You know, you get a box delivered to your house (laughs) or several boxes, you know, and you're like, what the fuck do I do with all this? Right. And then the, the, the needle sizes are different. The needles totally. aren't connected to the syringes. And yeah. you, it's just like, you're looking at this and you're like, oh my God, and this starts tonight. Like I have to become a nurse. Yes. And you get that hours. little class. We talked about this on your show a little bit too, that you you take the class and you do it in like the little orange or whatever they give you to like the, the test little fake body I didn't part. even get that. I didn't, didn't? Even get that. No. Oh, but I remember thinking, <laughs> oh my God, this is like a lot to like entrust someone with. Like people yes. are dumbasses, including myself sometimes. And like, what if I fuck this up? Like this is, the stakes are so high and they're just like, here you go. You'll get your $4,000 box of meds and then have at it. And it was like, oh my God, like $4,000 worth of meds. Exactly. Yeah. And then some need to be refrigerated. What if you didn't refrigerate totally. the ones that need to be in there? Do they just go, are they garbage then? So yeah, the first round of IVF was a success that we did it right. And we got some eggs. We Mm -hmm. harvested only eight. But the most devastating part of that round was when we got a call and the nurse, you know what I've learned, Allie, throughout this Mm -hmm. whole process is when the nurses call you, they're totally, they are gauging your emotional stability and mood right Mm -hmm. when you pick up the phone. Cause it's happened to me several times. I'll be like, hello, you know, it's coming in. Cause their name, their numbers on there. They're like, hello, Lauren. I'm like, yes. Hi, how are you? They're like, good, good, good. How are you doing today? And I'm like, right. um, it's going to depend on what you tell me. Yeah. You're like, get to the point, get to the fucking point. Yeah, good like news, I bad news. Me. It's usually bad. Like, yeah, right, exactly. I'm used to getting bad news. So, right. Right. So I was, I was not prepared at all, Ellie, when, she told me that there nothing viable came from that very first round of IVF. So Again, rough. something. Well, ha, he had no idea. I but yeah, you was, probably didn't think that that was even one of the possibilities. No, right? I thought you. I thought they'd at least be like we got an embryo. Let's see what happens. You're like literally nothing came from this. So that was very devastating. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to share because I like sharing things that no one told me about. And if I can share them and one person hears that, okay, for my first IVF round, maybe nothing happens. And it's not to set up disappointment, but it's just to set up a realistic outcome. Well, like I've, here's what I've noticed from talking to you just these past couple of times. And I'm the same as like, you want to manage your expectations, right? Like yes. you feel more in control of the situation. If you kind of know the potential yeah. outcomes. Yeah. I'm the had same someone, way. Had someone said like, literally nothing could come. I would have been prepared for a phone call like that. I was floored. I, I couldn't even, I was at a family party on the 4th of July and we were just walking in and I knew we were getting calls, excited to have that anticipation. And then I was outside by all the cars crying. My sister-in-law, Candace ran out and she's a nurse. So it's funny how IVF also really changes some of the relationships that you have in life. I got really close to my little sister-in-law who as I just mentioned, as a nurse practitioner and just being able to ask her all the questions about shots, about Mm -hmm. it just really brought us 
closer. And I didn't anticipate our relationship to do that. So, and she was there for a lot of disappointment. I'm going to tell you another story in which she's involved in. Mm -hmm. So we go through the first, get through it. Now I get to my second round of shots and I'm an old pro alley. Instead of Anthony, like me squeezing (laughs) my belly and Anthony coming in for the shot. I'm like in the grossest bathrooms in the city of Chicago. Yeah. Shout out to Hopleaf. It's in Andersonville. Best muscles in the city. Grossest bathrooms in the city. (laughs) But you know, and I want to start a campaign for individuals like ourselves or even a friend of mine's diabetic. Anyone who has to give themselves shots in every restroom, there needs to be, I don't care how big it is. It just needs to be a silver like shelf, whatever, a shelf just to place your shit on. So you can open it get your shots ready, put your vial there. And you, cause you up. don't want to use like the changing pad no, no, or, or, or like that, like thing or even the, the toilet Gross. seat. Like how many no. people have touched that with their shit covered hands <laughs> or like, you know, like at a bar, it's like how much cocaine is on the back cocaine, of this toilet right bar. now. Like, I mean, listen, I'll take some cocaine at this point. I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some with my my menopure. Right. (laughs) Exactly. But like, so I'm, I, that needs to be something that we talk to our like aldermans about and our, anyways, I just feel like that's something that's important. So by the second round, old pro, you know, it's, it's kind of fun at this point. I'm exhausted. I'm pissed off. I'm hoping for the best. And we get 11 eggs and I think two are viable. Sorry. One was viable. There were one was a, we got to like the point where at the end of that round, there was one. And so embryo? I walked one embryo got and it. we decided that we would do a fresh transfer. I got to tell you my favorite part of IVF and no one told me this and, and made me, and I like to share this part. My favorite part, if there is a favorite part of IVF is for the retrieval, the drugs they put you on because <laughs> the whole time, two weeks, you can't drink, you can't enjoy any cannabis. And now you go in and you're like, you're going to give me the sleepiest, coziest drugs ever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the best nap ever. It's the best nap ever. And it kind of just, you know, you go in and I also, the now the oddest part of IVF or the retrievals when you go in and you go that little door that they open up. Do you remember that for your retrieval? There's a little silver door. They open the door up and they're like, name and birth date, please. And they're just making sure that you are the person that they're getting the eggs from. It's mm. like Santa's workshop. And then they close. The <laughs> I don't door. think mine was like that, but that's cool. I mean, it was cool. Uh, and then, but then the weird part again comes in where you're like literally spread Eagle. You don't know anyone in the room really. And you're just right. opening up your legs so that they can take your goods. I know it's such an odd so weird. thing. And like, again, I didn't have anybody at the time that I knew that had gone through it. And I was like by myself and you know, I don't even it's, think Vince was there for my retrieval. I don't know. Anthony wasn't for sure for mine either. Yeah. Of COVID. It's weird. Right. And I made a joke as they're giving me that beautiful drug. What is it? Verset. And I'm like getting a little loopy. And I remember being like, this reminds me of, and I said it out loud. I'm like, this reminds me of the handmaid's tale. Cause it's like, just open <laughs> oh, your legs now. <laughs> it's a fucked up. Yeah, it's, it is bizarre. It's Science so is pretty true. fucking cool though. It's so cool. Yes. So yeah, we went through that second round and then um, it didn't take, Mm. sadly, but that's when I started to get my mindset started to change. Right. I was like, because people, now I started to hear from people, it could take three times. It could take four times. So you start to, now the people are coming out of the woodwork to went through this journey and are like, just keep going. Okay. And so So you had done two retrievals and one transfer at this point. Yes. Yes. And both not both unsuccessful. And so I, 
this for the third round going in, it was also my birthday month. So we, you know, you take a month on a month off. Once you start going through multiple cycles of IVF, you get a month off, go have fun, get it out of your system and you're back to business and then go yeah. have fun. <laughs> or some and people so- <laughs> do back to back to back to back to try to get as much do as they, they can. Yeah. Do some they, people I do. It's yeah. yeah. For mine, for mine, they were like, just, we're going to give you on and off months. We want to okay. give you a break. Okay. So, and the thing that I loved about my doctor was she was, I, I like to think of her like as a bartender, like a mixologist. She mm-hmm. whipped up different cocktails for each different round. Right. A different she, protocol depending. Yeah. yeah. That's and good. I know that some doctors go with the same protocol every single round, but for whatever reason, this was her method. It was working. And yeah. so by the time we got to the third round, it was, it was my birthday month and it was October. October is my favorite month of the year. My mom, my dead mom's birthday is in that month. So I felt strong going. I, I know it sounds sad, but for me, that was, that was good stuff. I was like, okay. June, my mom's going to come into this one. She's going to play a part. You know, maybe the universe will give me a birthday present. Right. So they were juicing me up on these crazy amounts of, of meds. And by the time it was all said and done, we had 40 or I'm sorry, 24 eggs to harvest. Okay. And which was awesome. Yeah. Out of that, out of that, we got one embryo. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Wait, sorry. Two embryos, two embryos that were ready to go. And on, I don't know when it was sometime after Halloween, because I was able to have fun on Halloween, but I was so constipated from all the meds. (laughs) <laughs> Another thing that people don't tell you about the constipation. So were you doing a couple questions? Were you doing testing yep. on the embryos? And then did you do a frozen transfer for that next round? Or were you still we doing- We tested them and we fresh right in. Okay. Um, But the problem with all of, you know, with, like I mentioned before, COVID played a role in so many of these things because when, you're, when your husband gets COVID during your cycle, it, everything gets fucked up. So- by the time we got to this place, they were just like, let's get these embryos right back in you. So we did, and it was right around or after Halloween, we got that, we got two embryos put back in and miraculously, I got a call from Christina, my nurse. And this is where my headspace was at when she finally, when she called, we were waiting for the pregnancy test call mm-hmm. and I answered the phone. It's funny when I think of you, when you think of your nurses, you get so close to them, but I haven't spoken to her since that phone call. And I should probably send her like a photo of my baby. If I picked up the <laughs> send phone. Send her this <laughs> episode and give her a shout I out. Will. Yes. I will do that. What she up, Christina? Yep. And I, call, I, I answered the phone. I said, listen, before you say anything, just, I need to say what I want to say first. And she's like, what's going on? And I'm like, whatever you tell me, if it's bad news, I am ready to do another round. I just want you to know that like, we're going to do it again. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. So what are, you tell us? And she goes, well, the good news is hopefully you won't have to do another round. You're pregnant. And yes. I was like, and I was just so in shock. I couldn't even cry. You know, like when you're so exhausted right. from being happy and then disappointed, you're just thrilled. You're depleted. Yeah. <laughs> like there's depleted. no more like liquid in your body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that is how we got to Luna. Okay. But without that scare that you and I talked about, the scariest part of my pregnancy was the subchorionic hematoma. Yes. Did I say that right? I believe so. Say it 10 more times though in a row. No, (laughs) I don't even want to experience it ever again. So what we did on the night of- You can call it an SCH. It's SCH. So on the night of of Christmas Eve, we surprised my side of the family. We did something really cute, you know, got the kids pictures, whatever, the Mm -hmm. um, ultrasound. We surprised our family 
that we were pregnant. Great. The next day we were, we were meant to surprise Anthony's family on Christmas day. And so we did. And Christmas day night, I had the oddest sensation. I felt like I had to go to the bathroom. You know, you eat so much food on Christmas and whatnot. I'm like, Ooh, my stomach's feeling funny. I also felt like a little lightheaded something. It didn't feel like I was having a problem with my baby, but something just felt weird. So I decided that I went upstairs to the bathroom upstairs at my in-laws home for some privacy. And Allie, I sat down and blood started pouring out of me. Oh my God. I would have fainted from sheer terror. Pouring. And I mean, it was, and I mean, you know, like you have like, again, you get PTSD, it's trauma. And you, I just looked down and it was like that thick. Well, first of all, there was a gush. It was like a watery, bloody gush. So I'm like my water. And then you don't know anything. So I'm like, in my head, I'm like water breaking. No, it's too early for that. That's silly. I'm like 12 weeks pregnant. I don't even know if I have a water sack yet. And then I started look. I looked down and it was just that thick period, my endo period that I remember from my past. And it was just like a slow bleed. And I was like, oh my God, I'm losing my baby. This is it. Yes. And so it is. And this is where, again, I I yelled for Anthony. (laughs) He didn't hear me. But so I yelled for my sister-in-law, Candace, the nurse. And I like, it would like, I guess it sounded like bloody murder. Like I was screaming because you don't know what to do. And I had gotten up from the toilet to open the door and then blood was going everywhere. And I'm like, how is this happening? How is this? how is this happening to us? We just told our family we're having a baby. Now we're losing it. Mm. And so, you know, you lose, like I, in my head for sure thought it was a miscarriage. Yeah. Do you, I am curious to know, do your, do your, the the women that you've had on and in your experience, is that the first thought that everyone has, or is there anyone out there? Okay. I'm not, I just was like, is there anyone out there that was like, Oh, this is, this happens. No, I think especially after infertility, when you become pregnant, you know, through IVF or whatever means it's so scary and you're so used to getting bad news. And you know that I remember, like, I think we talked about this the other day too, like just wiping and being like, please don't have blood, no blood, no blood, no blood. And that actually stuck with me. Even after I had my son, I would still be triggered, like just wiping and being so glad that I didn't have to worry about there being blood or not. Ah, so it just carried over into your life. That trauma like stays with you. It stays. It totally stays. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we went to the hospital and there was that whole, you know, my in-laws are beautiful. They're like, just think, hope for the best. They're still, it's still possible that everything's okay. But I'm telling you in my head, I'm like, how is what I'm seeing in the toilet? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up. Like, so you had it, this is Christmas night. This is Christmas night. Ho, you ho, had ho. to go to the hospital. How far along were you at this point? I was I was 11 weeks. Okay. So we go to the hospital and, you know, something to note. And at, did you, did you have any of your baby's apprentice? No, because I was in New York when I okay. had mine. My sister and I don't, did though. Yeah. So apprentice, there's a triage for pregnant women. I had no idea. And I don't know if all hospitals have this, but it's a wonderful luxury However, I did not realize that I, I, we had that at this point. So I went to the regular ER and it was a hot ass mess. I mean, oh God, yeah. you know, on Christmas night, it's, it's beautiful because I'm in Chicago, like the homeless will filter in and they'll just use the hospital as a place to stay, which is great. It's mm-hmm. fine. A lot going on. So I finally get um, admitted and, you know, I felt like, have you ever seen the movie Scrooged? <laughs> Yeah, totally. I don't know. That vibe was just there. It was just like a lot of like loneliness. Right. But we get in and 
you know, we, they set us up and they bring in like an ultrasound from like 1980. I'm like, why don't you guys have the good ones? And they said, I remember asking the nurse in the triage, I'm like, am I having a miscarriage? Like, is this, is this, can you just shoot me straight here? So I can like get with my, with my wits about me. And she's like, well, you're bleeding a lot but it might not be a miscarriage, but it might be one. I'm like, okay, that didn't help. But yeah. so let's just give <laughs> Thanks, bitch. <laughs> I'm like, and moving along. Let's You're like, where's Bill time. Murray? He'll tell yeah, me the we'll truth. Be- <laughs> yeah. So I finally get up there and they bring in that and they like, they're like, listen, we need to, we're going to check you to see if your cervix is dilated. That's not good if it is. And we're going to check for a heartbeat and oh. let's hope that there's a heartbeat. And, you know, you get a bunch of strangers going in again with our infertility. We know how many strangers hands have been up our vaginas so mm-hmm. just another group of people i've never met before going up and no cervix no cervical dilation which was awesome Good. so i'm like okay. okay that's the first thing and then they i'll never forget it we the ultrasound was kind of turned less towards me and more towards anthony and they put it on my belly and he's like oh my god is that a heartbeat and i was like shut up anthony like don't speak right now because if you say that and they say no that's not i'm gonna like combust <laughs> so i'm thinking just be quiet right and the doctor's like there's a heartbeat there's still a heartbeat and it was at that moment where i was just like okay we're good we're good for right now and that's the thing though ali about right. i think for right fertility, now yeah. for right now everything is just so you have to try so hard to be present because yes if you think too much about the future, there's just so much space for disappointment. I know. And I think that's one of the things that <clears throat> sucks about it too, is that, what? you know, it's infertility robs you of these moments where uh-huh. there should be like pure bliss and you're just actually fucking terrified for the shoe to drop. Like, even if you get good news, it's yes. hard to sometimes lean into that and celebrate that because you're yes. so guarding your heart that you don't want to get your hopes up. And I think that emotionally, that's, that's one of the real hard parts is that, you know, we talk all the time about how pregnancy after infertility is not this joyous occasion. It's fucking terrifying. And it's like, yes, that's the goal and not to ever, you know, people of course are happy. They've gotten to that point, but I think that people who haven't had loss, who've gotten pregnant, don't really realize how terrifying it can be. And the word terrifying, I think, is the perfect word to use because it really is. You, anything, you just feel so susceptible to anything bad can happen. Yeah. Like, and you will just expect more bad news. Right. And it takes away from that. You think when you start trying to have a baby, you think that picture perfect, you're going to miss your period one day and then you're going to pee on a stick and it's going to say pregnant. And what's interesting about IVF, you've got to do everything a little bit different, but you can still have those moments. And that's something I wanted to point out. Like, even though my doctor or my nurse, Christina called me and told us we were pregnant and we didn't have that like pee on a stick moment. A week later, I did get a stick and I peed on it. And I like, I left it on Anthony's computer just to like, add that excitement and add that normal, a little bit of yeah. normalcy to right. the journey that we were on because it was so, it's so trying and you, you yep. re- it takes away from that, that just that natural enthusiasm that having a baby can provide or getting mm-hmm. pregnant can, can, can give you. Yeah. So in IVF, you kind of just have to kind of reroute the way you find joy in becoming pregnant if you can find joy in it. And it's more like pockets of joy. It's like moments <laughs> of joy or like, you know, today it's good. Today I feel good. Today everything's okay. Tomorrow, yes, who the fuck exactly. knows? But 
but but back know? to that that subchorionic chorionic yeah. hematoma you know i just wish that someone would have said to me that bleeding is I, I know it's not normal in pregnancy but it does happen yeah and, and it's more common in ivf pregnancies think. it's oh is it is it yeah. is it i did not it know is. that okay mm-hmm. you know and and i feel like you know you think about movies I, a movie that really sticks out to me. Have you ever seen the movie, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle? Of course. Okay. It's like one of my favorite movies. Remember she suffers, she suffers a loss. She falls. I think there's some blood. And I'm like, that is, for me, that is a miscarriage. If there's blood, you're miscarrying because yes. Rebecca, Rebecca De Mornay, is that her name? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, so, and that's how you associate blood with pregnancy loss because of films. Because unfortunately in real life, we're not taught these things. So we have to resort to Hollywood cinema right. to tell us what happens when one becomes pregnant and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I just think for anyone listening, you know, to keep, I think that the trick for blood in bleeding in pregnancy is to, and I didn't do this, and this is why I'm trying to help others, is just to stay calm because like my mother-in-law said, like there's still hope. Like right. just because you're bleeding doesn't mean you're losing it. And and I did not believe her for a fucking second. I know. I was like you're you're just trying to be nice. I know. You're trying to make me not have a pure anxiety, you know, full-blown anxiety attack, but it's true. There is still hope. And right. it doesn't ultimately mean miscarriage. Honestly, the whole conversation of us talking today, that was like, for me, the most important thing to share yeah. is the bleeding part because that it's, was the Yeah, most- it doesn't necessarily mean miscarriage or that it's over, but right. you know, it is still so terrifying. So definitely want to validate anybody's feelings, you know, that feel that way, of course. Oh, it is terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. I just, I just think there's, we just don't talk enough about that. It can happen, totally. you know? Totally. So it did happen. It can happen. And we never found out the gender of our baby. And then on July 1st of this year, Luna popped out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tell me I about that moment when you got to hold her. It was freaking awesome. The moment I got to hold her, I thought of like a real, like a real quick, it's almost like a flip book. You know, like when you flip a book and it's like the cartoon, yes. you know, you see like a whole animated quick movie Yes. Flip book went through my brain. And I remember thinking like, you survived that bleed. I tripped once during my pregnancy. You survived that trip. Mm. You made it through a Petri dish and in, from a syringe into a catheter into me. And I'm holding this baby thinking like, you're so strong. Like you got to hear, we did it. And it was the best moment ever. Anthony, it was too shocked. We wanted a baby girl. And I don't know if that's okay to be. <laughs> That's I think really, you can say that. Right. And now that's what we got. We really, really, really wanted a baby yes. girl. And we wanted a baby girl because we just love little baby girls. And my mom's name was June. And we wanted to name our baby girl Luna June. Um, I love the mo- the moon. My mom died underneath a pink full moon um, back in 2019 on April 19th. There was a gigantic pink full moon. And there was something about the name Luna and June that went so perfectly together. So I am convinced that that whole IVF, that last round we did in the month of October, my mom's birthday, that it was like a really beautiful gift from her. I believe. I love it. Got to find that belief somewhere, right? (laughs) You got to believe in something. (laughs) So yeah, she's here. Oh, so happy for you. Thank you. Well, I feel it like was... you're always so good at your, you know, giving advice and these le- lessons learned, like we said, 
everybody check out Cozy Conversations with Lauren and her sister, Michelle. Thank you. Tell me about, you know, if somebody's listening to this that might be new to this world or just feeling really shitty or down in the dumps or hopeless. What would you say to somebody that's that's feeling really bad right now? It's such a, it's it's a hard question to answer because when you're in the thick of it and when you're, when you really are like kind of losing that faith, you know what I would say? I would say that whoever's listening to this is you are stronger than you think you are, that you know you are, because that's what helped me realize one day. Like, I think when I got to that third IVF round and I was like, I could do it again. I was like, fuck, a a, a cycle ago, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to keep doing this. And I got to a point where I got out of that really dark space of like fear and disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, and it's okay to be there. And you, you spend a lot of fucking time there, but then mm-hmm. it feels really good when you get to a space and a headspace where you're like, I'm, I got this, I'm strong. And I would say, keep going. If you can, if, if all of the elements of IVF or of infertility work for you, just keep, because there's a lot that goes into it. Emotions. Yeah finances. And when I say keep going, I don't even mean just keep trying in infertility, just keep going in life, you know, go get your nails done, go take that shower, go take, get meditation. And if, and if your treatment is part of your keep going, then keep going, but Mm -hmm. just don't, you know, keep going, whatever that means. And whatever that looks like, just don't give up on you. And if you want to give up on infertility and say, fuck you, and I'm going a different route, that's great too. Keep going in whatever direction that is. Totally. Because it's easy to, it's easy to get stuck in a spot where you don't think you can keep going in anything anymore. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So just stay, you know, keep your wits about you as best you can and focus on yourself. And yeah, I would just, that would be my advice. Keep going in any direction that feels good for you. And the, the fact that you are stronger than you think you are will will help, especially when you need that strength. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you so much to Lauren. Go check out her podcast, which is called Cozy Conversations. And she does it with her sister and they talk to all different people about all sorts of things, but it's very entertaining and they're just awesome. So check that out. I also always want to tell you guys about Fertility Rally, which is the community that Blair and I created. It's a safe space. It's for anybody building their families through assisted reproductive technology, going through infertility, going through surrogacy, going through adoption. We are here for all of it. Please join us or check us out. If you want to check out one of our support groups, we have four per week. We have more coming next year. Lots going on. So we just want to be the space for you guys and this community of people that are cheering each other on and holding each other's hands and answering each other's questions. It's been incredible and we would love for you guys to join us. So check it out on Instagram at fertility rally or our website, which is fertilityrally.com. You can also always DM me at infertile AF stories on Instagram and you can email me as well at infertilafstories at gmail if you want to share your story. I have a bunch lined up for next year already, but I'm taking some more submissions. So if you want to share your story, let me know. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you soon.